this word, Lord. Everything's in the Bible for a reason. Everything it can instruct us and can be profitable to us. And Father, I ask that you'd please uh, help us as we look at your word. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Joshua chapter 22. And Joshua 22 is a very interesting passage. Uh, I think it's a, it's a very interesting story. And just so you get the context a little bit, look, look down at verse number 1 again. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We're finishing up the book of Joshua. All those great stories of the conquering of the land and all that, that has been done for the last few weeks. We've been going through these chapters where they're dividing the land. If you remember last week, they finished dividing the land. They were done. Now in chapter 22... Joshua takes the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And if you remember, uh, just from your own Bible reading or from previous uh, sermons, the children of Israel, these two and a half tribes, the children of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had gotten their possession on the other side of Jordan. Do you remember that? They were fighting battles with Moses. They had won some battles with Moses. And they got their possession on the other side of Jordan when Joshua became the leader and then the children of Israel crossed the Jordan into the promised land. Those men of those tribes and the soldiers were told that they had to cross with the rest of the people and help the nation to conquer the land, but their possession was on the other side of Jordan. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Their children stayed on the other side of Jordan, their family and their cattle stayed on the other side of Jordan, but the men went off to fight and to conquer the rest of the land. To, you know, today I guess you would consider it like a deployment or a TDY. They, were, they left their families to go fight fight these battles, and now the wars are done, the battles are done, and Joshua is getting ready to send those men back home to the other side of Jordan. Are you following what I'm saying in regards to the the nation of Israel there? You had some of the tribes on one side of the Jordan River, and you had two and a half tribes on the other side of Jordan River. So that's what's going on. That's the context here. So Joshua brings these tribes together, look at verse 2, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days unto these days, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. She said, you didn't leave your brethren to fight alone. You came over. You did what you're supposed to do. Look at verse 4. Now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as He promised them therefore. Now return ye, notice He's saying, return ye and get you unto your tents and unto your land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side, Jordan. Do you see that? Verse 4. So he says, go back home, we're done, go back to the land that God, that God gave you. And I'm not really preaching about that, I just want to make sure you understand the context. I do want to bring to your attention, verse number 5, very powerful verse in the challenge that Joshua gave these people. If you look at verse 5, he says, but take diligent heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. Notice, he, he talks to them about their affection. He says to love the Lord your God. He talks to them of their direction to walk in all His ways. He talks to them of their obedience and to keep His commandments. And then He talks to them of their dependence and to cleave unto Him. 
and to serve Him. He talks about their priorities with all your heart and with all your soul. That's a great challenge to give anybody. Verse 6, So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went unto their tent. So you got the story. They go back to the other side, Jordan. But you got to understand, there's a few things that go down. And, I, and I, honestly, I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, to, tonight. I know we've got you know all that other stuff going on after the service. Skip down to verse number 11. The Bible says, And the children of Israel heard say. Make note of that word, heard. This is something that came through the grapevine. Something they heard. It says, And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of the Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. See, here's what you got to understand. Let me just give you the title of the sermon tonight. I entitle this chapter, the story of this chapter, I call it The Great Misunderstanding. Because here's what happens. The children of Israel go on the other side of Jordan, the half-tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and when they get there, they build an altar on the other side of Jordan. Now the children of Israel, the majority of them, they hear through the grapevine, look at verse 11, they heard say, Behold the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built an altar over against the land of Canaan. Look at verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard, you see that word there? Of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh. Now notice this. Based on what they heard, these people are ready, look at the last part of verse 12, to go up to war against them. Isn't that crazy? I mean, these people heard something, and because of what they heard, they said, well, let's go fight them. Let's go battle them. Keep in mind, these are their brethren. Keep in mind, this is their nation. Keep in mind, these are the men that have been with them for the last five years, fighting battles with them, helping them conquer their land. I'm sure these men were helping them build their houses and helping them get their families settled. I'm sure these men, I mean these men were away from their homes. I'm sure many of them were having dinners with their families and spending time with their family. And because of what they heard, they were willing to sever that relationship and go fight a war with their own brethren. And you know what? Today is the same thing in Christianity. How many of us so quickly, because of the things we hear, are just ready to fight people, are ready to argue with people, are ready to sever relationships with our own brethren, people that we, we've gone out soul winning with, we've been in church with, we've sang songs with, we, we've spent time with, and because of something we heard. Now there are times to sever relationships. But you ought to never take action against another believer based on something you heard say to them. Look at verse 13. And the children of Israel sent them to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes, of each chief house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. So, I want you to, here's what I want you to understand about this. They're doing this backwards. Okay? When you hear something... You ought to verify what you heard before you get ready to go to war. These people heard something, got ready to go to war, and then they send princes off to verify what they heard. Look at verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord. 
Now notice, these are the princes that went to those lands, to, to the half-tribe Manasseh, to the tribe of Gad, tribe of Reuben, and they're there to figure out what's going on. Now I want you to notice how they talk to them. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel? Now are they asking, Hey, we heard that you've got an altar here, what's going on? What are you doing? Notice they come off right, bat, right off the bat. They're just accusing them. What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that ye have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. They just come off the bat saying, What are you doing? Why are you in sin? Why are you in rebelling? And let me tell you something. If you want to be effective in your Christian life, you better learn how to communicate with individuals. Sometimes in our fundamental Baptist churches, we think, well, the pastor gets up there and preaches and he's me. Let me tell you something. The way that I preach behind the pulpit and the way that I speak to individuals personally are two different things. And we as Christians, give your finger there in Joshua, go to Colossians chapter number 4. Say, well, why do you preach like that? Why do you, the Bible tells us to cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. The Bible says that we ought not, you know, we ought to speak authoritatively. The Bible says of Jesus Christ that He spoke with authority, not as the scribes. The Bible says, the Bible teaches us how we ought to preach the Word of God. But when it comes to our day-to-day relationships, the Bible is also very clear in how we ought to communicate with people. Are you there in Colossians chapter number 4? Look at verse number 6. Colossians chapter number 4, look at verse number 6. The Bible says... Let your speech be always with grace. You see the word grace? You know what the Bible is saying here? You know, do, do you, when you think of the word grace, what do you think of? You know what I think of when I think of the word grace? Salvation. You know what I think of when I think of the word grace? The fact that I got something I did not deserve. The fact that I was given something that I did not earn. The fact that God saved me. By grace are ye saved through faith. Something I did not deserve. Something I did not earn. Something I, I got for free. I didn't pay for it. That's what I think of when the word grace. And the Bible says, let your speech be always with grace. I believe that, you know, we always just ought to give people the benefit of the doubt. I believe that when we approach people, that when we talk to people, look, they may be wrong, they may be doing something crazy, they may be doing something we don't disagree with, but we ought not have this mentality. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why are you preaching this? Number one, it's Joshua 22, it's just the next passage. But number two, we need to realize that as our church begins to grow, we can't disrespect each other. We can't be rude to each other. We can't, well, they're wrong and they shouldn't be doing that. Well, it's not your job, huh? To walk up to people and say, listen, you're not doing this right, and bless God, you need to fix this. The Bible says, let your speech be always with grace. Look what it says. Seasoned with salt. I like that. That sounds good. <laughs> that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. See, here's, here's, the, here's what you need to understand. Go, go back to Joshua 22. I want you to notice what they say. Verse 17. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us? Now, Peor is a reference to Balaam. You remember Balaam? Balaam brought the people together in fornication. Balaam brought the people together. He advertised the people of God to the world. And he was a very wicked person. And they're saying, look, is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from which we are not cleansed until this day? They said, look, we don't want any problems. 
I don't, I don't know why you guys got this altar, but look, when, when Balaam did his whole thing on, on, on Peor, let me tell you something, God was upset. Look at the last part of verse 18. Well, let's read verse 18. But that ye may, must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be uh, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be robbed with the whole congregation of Israel. He said, when Peor did his thing, God got mad at all of us. And that's right. Look at verse, skip down to verse 20. They give another example. They say, did not Achan, the son of Zer, remember Achan? He stole from Jericho when he was not supposed to and he lied about it. And because of it, they lost the battle of Ai. And because of it, the wrath of God came upon the entire congregation. Look at verse 20. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass and the accursed thing? And the wrath uh, fell on all the congregation of Israel? Now here's what you got to understand. These people are right. They're trying to be safe. They're saying, look, we don't want any trouble. I don't know why you built an altar, but we don't want God getting mad at us. And here's what you got to understand. Oftentimes, we are right in our position, and we are wrong in our disposition. Oftentimes, we are right in what we are saying, but we are wrong in how we are saying it. And we need to get back to a place where we treat people with respect. It doesn't matter if they're wrong. Your words should always be graceful. Your words should always be thoughtful. You ought to have a filter between, you know, before the words come out of your mouth, you ought to filter them through your mind and think about what you're saying before you say it. The problem with most of us is we think about what we said after we said it. The Bible tells us that we ought to treat people respectfully. These people, they were correct. But they were going about it the wrong way. You don't go to war based on what you heard. And you don't verify what you heard after you're ready to go to war. Now here's what's interesting about this. Actually, let me show you one more verse. Go to, go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Right after the book of Psalms, you got Proverbs. Proverbs 15. And let me tell you something. I believe that every single one of us struggles with this concept of how we speak to people. But if you got a hold of this, the way you minister to people would change so radically. Your marriage would change so radically. Your businesses would change so radically if you got this concept that the way we speak to people ought to be graceful. Look at verse 1 of Proverbs 15. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But notice this. But grievous words stir up anger. You may be right, but if your words are grievous, but if, if your words are wrathful, you're not going to get very you know, you're not going to get very far in life. Go back to Joshua. And I, I think it's interesting, and this is what I really want to get to. Look at verse number 22. So they show up, and they accuse him. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? We don't want any trouble. We're ready to go to war. Why is this happening? Now look at their response. Verse 22. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knoweth. And Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion, or if in transgression, the Lord save us not this day. So here's their response. They're saying, look, God knows that what we're doing was not in rebellion. God knows that what we're doing was not wrong. Look at verse 23. That we have built us an altar 
to turn from the following from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offerings or meat offerings, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord Himself require it. And here's what you gotta understand: it is a good place in life to be where you can say, "I know that what I'm doing, I am right with God." Go to Psalm 139, just real quickly. Psalm 139. Look at verse 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. So many of us, we're often trying to please other people. So many of us were often trying, well, if I do this, then it might, you know, is it, what's this person going to think about it? And if I do that, then that, what's that person going to do? And let me tell you something, that's called pleasing man. The Bible says we ought to obey God rather than man. And our number one priority is to know that we are right before God. You say, well, if I'm right before God, I may be wrong before men. If I'm right before God, my family may think I'm not doing the right thing. If I'm right before God, my friends may not think I may, may, may think I'm going crazy. If I'm right before God, people, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. You personally need to know that you are right in your spirit before God. Amen. Are you there in Psalm 139? Look at verse 23. This is a deep prayer. And I want to ask you, could you pray this prayer? Look what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That ought to be the prayer of every believer. We, our heart's desire ought to be to be right with God. And these people were in a good position, go back to Joshua, because when they came to them and they accused them, their response was, look, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knoweth, and Israel, He shall know, if it be in rebellion or in transgression against the Lord. They said, look, God knows if we're in rebellion, God knows if we're doing wrong, and they were saying, we're not doing anything wrong. And by the way, let me say this, they were not doing anything wrong. You say, what are you talking about? Look at verse number 26. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. They're talking about an altar. If you need to understand this. At the tabernacle is where they were sacrificed animals. God gave them measurements and God gave them instructions as to how to set up the tabernacle, how to set up all these things. And God gave them an altar so that they could sacrifice it. What these people did was when they went on the other side of Jordan, they built an altar just like the one that was in the tabernacle. You understand what I'm saying? And the children of Israel saw that and they said, what are they doing? What God are they sacrificing to? Why are they doing these things? Now you got to understand, look at verse 20, 20 uh, well let's begin reading at verse number, well, let's, verse number 24, look what it says. And if we have not rather done this for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? Here's what they're saying. They're saying, we were afraid, because we're on this side of Jordan, that one day your children were going to look at our children and say, are you part of us or what? Are you part of our nation or what? Look at verse 25. For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you. They're saying, look, the Jordan River is a border between us. It's separating us. Ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from praying the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar. Notice what they said. Not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice. They said, we didn't build an altar to burnt an offering on it. We did not build an altar to put a sacrifice on it. Look at verse 27. But that it may be a witness between us and you. Here's what they were saying. We built an altar to identify the fact that we serve the same God that you serve. 
But because these people took action based on what they heard, they assumed the wrong thing. Whenever you assume something, you're probably always going to be wrong. You say, well, Pastor, I'm a little confused because you said that they were right. And then you said that the children that built the altar were right. And here's what I honestly believe about this passage. I believe they were both right. You say, how can that be? Go to Acts 16. Let me show you something. Remember this morning we were talking about pride? Mm -hmm. You know one of the major things about pride? A proud person is different than a humble person in this sense. A humble person is interested in what is right. A proud person is interested in who is right. You ever been on a job site where something goes wrong? And there's always that guy who doesn't really care what went wrong or how to fix it. He just wants to know who messed up so that he can go tell the boss. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to make himself look good. Why does he do that? He wants to look good because he's prideful. And you know, as Christians, we not, oftentimes we don't have to be so worried about who is right. Why don't you make sure that you're right? Why don't you make sure that your heart's right? Why don't you make sure that your spirit's right and stop worrying about what everybody else is doing? See, we, we, the, the Bible puts it like this. You can become a busybody. And in Acts chapter number 15, did I say 16? I meant 15. You find an interesting story. I think it's very interesting. We're almost done. I'm not preaching long tonight. I don't even know how long I've been preaching already. I've been preaching 21 minutes. I can be done in the next 15 minutes if you keep up. All right? Are you there in Acts 16? Look at verse 37. Well, look at verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord to see how they do. Paul and Barnabas were missionary partners. They had gone on a missionary journey. They had came back and then they decide, let's go and, and see how everybody's doing and let's go preach the gospel again. Look at verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. You see that? So Barnabas said, hey, let's take John Mark with us. Verse 38. But Paul thought not good to take him with them. He said, well, why is that? Look what it says. Who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So here's the thing. On their first missionary journey, Mark had gone with Paul and Barnabas, but halfway through, he quit and went back home. And Paul was the type of guy, he says, I don't need a quitter on my team. And he said, I don't need John Mark coming with me. Now look at what happens. Verse 39. Tell me if this sounds to you like two average Christians. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder and one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. They got in an argument about whether or not they should take John Mark with them and they got so mad and upset. Two friends, two believers, two great men of God. Barnabas was a great man of God. If you study the life of Barnabas in the book of Acts, he was a great man. Paul was a great man. These godly men, these spiritual leaders, these missionaries are so mad at each other, they can't even see each other's faces. You think that's a good testimony? You say, well, which one was right? Well, I think Paul was right. You say, well, why is that? Look at verse 40. And Paul chose Silas. 
and departed being, notice, recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Paul and Silas were recommended by the brethren. The Bible does not tell us that Barnabas and Mark were recommended by the brethren. And then, of course, as you continue to read the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts now becomes the story of Paul and Silas, not the story of Barnabas and Mark. Do you understand what I'm saying? I believe that Paul had the blessing of God on his life, and Paul was correct. Paul did not need a quitter on his team. You say, was Barnabas wrong? No, I think Barnabas was also right. Say, what are you talking about? Well, sometimes people like to attack Barnabas. Let me show you a few interesting things. We're almost done. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Let me just show you something. Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 10. Colossians chapter number 4 and verse 10. The Bible says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, which is another way of saying Mark, sister son to Barnabas. Do you see that? Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. Touching whom ye received commandments, if he came unto you, receive him. So the Bible tells us that Barnabas was the uncle of John Mark. And sometimes people give Barnabas a hard time and they say, Well, John Barnabas was just looking out for his nephew and he was just trying to not hurt his, his, you know, his nephew's feelings and not fight with his sister. Now, there may be some truth to that, but I believe Barnabas was doing exactly what God had created him to do. You say, well, why is that? Go back to Acts. Go to Acts chapter number 4. Look at verse 36. we got to do this quickly. Acts chapter number 4. Look at verse 36. Acts 4.36. I want you to see this about Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And Josie's... I'll wait for you to get there because I want you to see this. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 36. And Josie's, who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas... Alright, so here's, here's Barnabas. He was, his original name was Josie's, but he was surnamed Barnabas. They gave him a new name, Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. They named him the son of consolation. You know what the word consolation means? It means to comfort. You know what the word consolation means? It means to encourage. Barnabas obviously was a man who would comfort, he would encourage, he would go to people that were hurting, he would go to people that others maybe would write off, that others would say, I have no need for him. And Barnabas would go and say, hey, I'll help you out. Hey, I'll give you a chance. And here's what's interesting. Go to Acts chapter number 9. Barnabas is a son of consolation, right? Barnabas wants to help a young man named Mark who others don't want to have anything to do with. But do you remember that there was a time when Paul was not accepted either? Go to Acts chapter number 9. Look at verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, his name's not Paul yet, but he's a believer now, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. So when Saul got saved, he he went to church, and they were afraid, and they said, I don't believe that he's actually saved. I don't believe that he's a disciple. I don't trust him. You say, why is that? Well, remember, he was persecuting the church. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas, you see that? Who did this? Barnabas took him. And brought him 
to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Verse 28. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. They did not want to accept Saul. They did not want anything to do with Saul. But Barnabas saw a young man Saul. Barnabas, the son of consolation. Barnabas, the comforter. Barnabas, the encourager. Says, hey, listen, Saul. I know nobody likes you. I know nobody trusts you. But I'll be your friend. Why don't you come with me? And Barnabas took him. And Barnabas was the one that got Saul into church and got him accepted and helped him out. Barnabas was a good man. And I believe he was doing for John Mark exactly what came natural to him. Exactly what he'd done to Saul. You say, well, you think that you think that Barnabas was right or was he wrong? The book of Acts doesn't really deal with him much anymore and, and it doesn't seem like he had the blessing of God. Well, let me show you. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 11. You tell me if you think Barnabas was wrong. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Now keep this in mind. Who wrote the book of 1 and 2 Timothy? We know the Holy Spirit did, but it was the Apostle Paul who was a penman. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Look at verse number 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark. Do you see that? And bring him with thee. Notice what Paul says about Mark towards the end of his life. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Isn't that interesting? Now, if there would have been no Barnabas, when Paul said, I'm done with Mark, he's a quitter. I'm done with Mark. I don't need no quitter in my team. I don't need no weaklings on my team. I don't need that person. If there would not have been a Barnabas to say, hey Mark, listen, you come with me. I'll help you out. I'll give you another chance. I'll go with you. I'll come for you. I'll encourage you. Then Mark wouldn't have grown to be the great man. Have you ever heard of this book, The Gospel According to Mark? then Mark wouldn't have had a chance to be able to serve God. And Paul himself, at the end of his life, said, hey, bring Mark. He's profitable for the ministry. Amen. You say, was Paul right? I think Paul was right. Paul didn't have time to mess around. Paul was given a ministry to the Gentiles, and he needed to go out and preach the gospel. But at the same time, I think Barnabas was right. Because Barnabas was the son of consolation. Barnabas had a ministry in helping young people that people had given up on to be able to help them to grow and mature to the man that God wanted them to be. Here's what you need to understand. We're not all supposed to do the same thing. And sometimes I have a ministry, and sometimes you have a ministry, and maybe my ministry may be different than your ministry, and my calling may be a little different than your calling, and I have to uh, impact the community of Sacramento, and you've got to do it. Maybe you have to be a mother. Maybe you have to be a business owner. Maybe you have to go start a church in Mexico. I don't know what it is, but what I'm saying is this. Every once in a while, two Christians can disagree, and they can both be right. And a proud person will say, no, I'm always right. I'm just trying to help you in your Christian life, every once in a while, it may be good to consider the fact and realize, I must make sure I'm right with God. And I must make sure I'm doing the right thing in my life. But I can also have a little grace in my speech and realize that Barnabas or Paul or the half-tribe of Manasseh, 
may be doing the right thing also. God is big enough to be the God of all of us. And our job is not to accuse each other. Our job is not to argue with each other. Our job is not to be constantly at each other's throats. Our job is to come together. And look, I'm thankful for the Apostle Paul, but I'm also thankful for Barnabas. And we ought to just show grace. We ought to have love. You say, should we preach hard? Hey, I believe in preaching hard. But I also believe in loving people. And I also believe in giving people a chance and giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm just trying to encourage you today. Sometimes I can tell you, I can tell you of stories right now. I mean, I can, I can tell you of individuals right now that two Christians that are at odds with each other and, and I don't know which one's right or which one's wrong. I don't know if they're both right or if they're both wrong. My wife and I were talking about a certain situation with all, and I think to myself, well, this guy, I mean, he's a godly man. I mean, he's a soul winning man. I mean, I know this man. He loves God. And this guy, he's a godly man. He's a soul winning man. He's King James only. And, and that guy, he loves God. And they're arguing about something and I'm like, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, they're both right. They're both wrong. It doesn't matter. Hey, can I just love both of them? Now, we ought to take a stand against false doctrine. We understand that. There's a time to separate. We dealt with that in Romans. But every once in a while, it's okay to say, hey, you do what God has called you to do. I'll do what God has called us to do. And God will work it out. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I thank you for these evening services. When we go through these passages, they force you to preach stories and concepts that... You might not normally go to, but Father, I believe it's good for us to know the Word of God and to realize that we need to just have grace with each other and love for each other. Father, we love you. Thank you for our church.